think you need to understand the why you start a business. The basic motivation of why, because it can be learned process. And having the guidance of a mentor to give you that broader perspective really pushes you in a, a different direction. Want to build something really huge and big, but we don't have the right resources, people resources, uh, financial resources to make it work. Hello, you're listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast, the podcast that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs from around the world. I am your host, Ling Ling. I'm also the director of Spark Learning Solutions a company that supports the development of cultural intelligence and intercultural competence of leaders and organizations globally. To stay ahead of the competition, one must take the time to learn and grow in your role, your organization, and your industry. Interestingly enough, many entrepreneurs feel they do not have the time for continuous learning citing too much to do for a one-person operation or a small team. Just like exercise, continuous learning helps entrepreneurs to maintain the sharpness of their minds, to keep abreast with the trends, and to stay ahead of the curve. How can entrepreneurs continue to learn and grow amidst the busy schedule? Joining us is Go Ayat, a former senior banker and management consultant. Today, she calls herself a trainer, a storyteller, an artist, and an entrepreneur. Hello and welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. Joining us today is Go Ayat, who is entrepreneur, facilitator, as well as a storyteller. For the past 20 years, she has helped entrepreneurs start up their business with her training program. So welcome, Ayat. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining us. Mind if you could share with our listeners, how did you get into the business of training entrepreneurs? I think if I look back, it was probably a natural progression from where I started because uh, when I made the decision to quit my job at 38, I struggled with having to understand what it takes to prepare to get into the world of business Uh, because at that point of time, I think um, I was more a push entrepreneur than a pull entrepreneur. It was circumstances that... uh, sort of made me take that decision. So in a way, I am hoping that uh, or, or through the training that I develop and work with a lot of entrepreneurs-to-be, uh, it's basically to help them minimize their pain levels as they embark this journey. Hmm, I see. So what kind of programs do you offer to entrepreneurs for the past 20 years? So basically, it's divided into two broad areas or two series, if I will call it to be. One is the starter kit. Many people actually like the idea of becoming an entrepreneur, but they are not sure whether they want to embark it. So the starter starter kit series is basically to help people get ready, know what it takes to become an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. or what it it takes for them to start up a business. Mm -hmm. Then for the people who are a little bit more serious, then they go through a series of what we call toolkits, which encompasses... Six modules, uh, ranging from looking for a business, marketing, marketing and sales, accounts and finance, people management, legal matters, and culminating into writing or putting up a business plan. Mm. Because I think a lot of people think that uh, 
they will make money almost immediately. They don't prepare for gestation period when they start their business. So I think the key here is having to have a better understanding of cash flow more than understanding the fact that I, I need to be profitable. I think that, that seems to be a problem. Mind if you could share a story of uh, entrepreneurs who have gone through these challenges and have succeeded or probably have not succeeded? Okay, I think, uh, okay, let's look back at some of my participants. There are probably, okay, I, I, I remember one guy who was actually was retrenched three times. And I think his motivation of starting a business was he doesn't want to be retrenched anymore because you can't retrench yourself. So what he did was he decided to go into the beauty space. And of course, I think beauty is a big business, but he went and got a distributorship from New Zealand, some organic-related beauty products. But because he is not himself familiar with the beauty products world, and even though he has a marketing background, his product range was fairly limited. And after a while, he just couldn't continue to sustain the business. So the key, I guess, here is he could have been a bit earlier because in the earlier years, people were just not thinking very much of the concerns of health uh, related to that. So, So he somehow got himself trapped in this vicious circle and I think after a while, the cash flow could not sustain the operation. Mm. I had another participant who wanted to get into the F&B business. And um, they actually bought a recipe from you know, overseas countries and they, they brought it in. And they actually started this quite successfully. But they did not have enough capital to sustain it. So uh, sometimes the way we look at it is, I think, say for example, we, we think that oh, to start an F&B business, we, we need 300000 but we always think that our strategies are better and therefore we say, hey, maybe 200000 is sufficient to start the business. So in the process of it, obviously, when he reached a point where they didn't have enough inflow because when they're building the business, having to build a brand and of course having to garner as many customers to come to the shop as possible because they were not in a very good location, they found that they did not generate the revenue as they projected. So that actually prolonged the pain level right? in the sense that they, they found that they got a cash flow strap and at that point, they had to get investors to come in. Fortunately for him, he, could, was, he was able to do that, but many may not be able to do that in the timing that's required. Hmm. That, it makes sense. And I suppose that's why you've got into the business of training entrepreneurs to help them get started the right way and ensure that they succeed onwards. So why do you think when it comes to learning, is very, very important for entrepreneurs? I think the journey as an entrepreneur can be very lonely because the moment we get in, uh, we're always firefighting. Probably because we don't, we, we can't anticipate or we don't anticipate uh, things to happen. And, uh, we, and when we do that, uh, we seem to be trapped. And half the t- most of the time, uh, we will be running in circles, doing things that we try to help uh, to get our business off process of it, it can be frustrating, it can be, it can be quite, if I use this word, I think, um, I mean, it could trap us in the sense that we probably will be so engulfed with what we have and not looking outward anymore. So in, in that sense, it sometimes limits us uh, to actually look at acquiring more perspective to the businesses that we're in. And because we're also sometimes very passionate of what we believe in, those entrepreneurs tend to be very persistent and they want to really drive it. Uh, and in the process, sometimes uh, in that journey, 
they find they have very little time to actually probably explore more options for themselves. And of course, to me, uh, the journey will be either you get a mentor to work with you, or you could be actually looking at reading what is relevant in the marketplace, what are the changes, which are not by startups. I totally agree with uh, what you've just mentioned. The journey of an entrepreneur it can be quite lonely as, you know, I've recently started myself as a training entrepreneur and having the guidance of a mentor to give you that broader perspective really pushes you in a, a different direction. So I totally agree with what you said. But based on your experience, when you you know, observe your participants and observe your entrepreneurs, what do you believe are the essential skills and knowledge that an entrepreneur must have so that they can thrive and become successful? Okay, I think if you look, I mean, if I have to quantify this, let's let's go back to the fundamentals of business. Let's quantify it. Now. So there are only two things that one has to manage. One is cost growing the top line. Without revenue, there will be no cash flow. The second one is, of course, operational efficiency. And operational efficiency would mean that they have to have certain competencies to manage it at a lower cost model. So in that context, the technical skills part becomes important. Now, then we have the non-qualitative knowledge, qualitative competencies and knowledge and skills that we have. And that will probably be things like the ability to network, the ability to collaborate with partners to work together, the ability to understand customer service, the ability to actually look at how they can tweak the requirements of their business to meet the needs of the clients. So I think it has two facets. Yeah. Okay, so based on the two facets, can I summarize it to one that's more technical when it comes to running a business and one that's more like soft-related kind of skills? Yeah, I would call them business skills to be specific, like strategic thinking, mm-hmm. things like, for example, social skills where you have to network. The other part of it probably has to actually look at, uh, well, I say financial skills are technical, but understanding finance from a business perspective is important. Okay, so the business skills that are required, the knowledge, the technicalities behind it, that's essential for an entrepreneur. So based on uh, your your participants, what kind of skills or knowledge do you see plentiful or lacking when it comes to entrepreneurs that are just starting up? Many people actually want to become entrepreneurs, but actually the essence of it all is thinking out of the business. I think that's the first fundamental thing, which they don't know how to identify what opportunities are available out there or their perspective of what opportunities out there is quite uh, narrow and quite small. If I were to look at it from that perspective, I think the key is they must have this understanding of what the criteria are associated to opportunity. And if I were to think about it, basically there are three things. If they can actually answer these three things very quickly, then they can start doing their homework. So the first one will be probably the market must first be attractive. Now, when I say attractive, it must be really big, where you have a huge need in in the market space. So even though if I were to go in or a young entrepreneur were to go into a, to a niche market, it is still a huge market. What I've learned when I first started was uh, I went into the banking training business because uh, gravitating from the fact that I was an ex-banker. And a lot of people would advise you and say, go and do something you're very good at. And obviously I went into that. It went so niche, even though the banking industry was huge, I did. It was actually a very niche market. So when I first started in 1994, 
And then 1997, we had the Asian financial crisis, and that's when I learned my first lesson. That being too niche has also a problem. So when I, I look at market, it must be really big. It must be attractive. Number two, when we run a business, we are thinking of long term. I'm not, I don't think anybody go, go into a business and say, I want to go there for a short term ride. And when I say long term, it has to be sustainable, it must be durable, it can be replicable. And in that context, it becomes very important. We're not going into what we call a fat business. Yeah? And the third thing is timing. I always, I have always generated or, or rather very keen in looking at ideas. And when the dot-com first started, I also joined in the bandwagon. And that's when I realized that the business I went in was to sell information online. Uh, at that point of time, when dot-com started or the, uh, or the space or what called that, the internet world started, everything was actually given free. And only very hard to get people to buy, buy data, buy information. Uh, and I felt at that point of time, I was too early. And I think if today I were to do it again now, and based on this market scenario, where people are prepared to pay for that information to make better business decisions, I think then I will probably got a timing right. So three things I think is important now. <laughs> and the three thing is like what you mentioned, the market attractiveness, whether you're in it for the long term. First is attractiveness. The second, it must be durable. Mm-hmm. The sustainability and it must be timely. Timely. Okay. How can we prepare entrepreneurs that are starting up to figure out these three different criterias? Because they sound like really important questions to answer for yourself before you embark on an entrepreneurial journey. One has to invest in invest their time in doing a little bit of R and D. There are today, I think, no excuse for many for all of us because the the internet space provide a lot of this information. There are many trends that you that you can look at. Uh, you can actually get in, get into things like trends future. You can think, look at things like industry news and information that will help you think tweak a little bit about what you are doing. And then with that space, you probably then decide that uh, you may want to do a little bit of a survey, a market research, a technical bit of an understanding of the industry you want to go into, and then you talk to people from this industry. And that will mitigate it. So it's basically making sure that we do our homework, we do our research, understand what is the landscape, the marketplace, before we actually put in the capital and the effort to with, with our business idea. In a way, if I have a way of saying this, it's mitigating the risk. Mitigating risk. Yeah. So if you have knowledge, if you understand what you're getting into, then of course there's always risk in doing business, but you just reduce it. Mm. I think if I have a saying, if I have a one way of looking at it, I mean, if we can identify that the market is already attractive and if we go in and we don't do it right or we fail, it's because we didn't have the right strategy. It's not that the market is bad. So I, the crux here is we have to understand that when we're in, in this, we just need to tweak the strategy a little bit. And understanding how to tweak the strategy is actually to know who your consumers are. And if I know who they are, then or if they know who they are, then we sort of narrow, we sort of, in a way, we wrap our strategies around that. Our effort, our energy, our time, our financial resources towards this target market. So not only do we need to put in the time to understand the landscape and the market, but also to understand who our target market is, who our audience is, what they need, what kind of problems they're going through. And from there, that's how we can build our business strategy. What do you see, and out of curiosity, what do you see is the biggest roadblock 
for an entrepreneur to become successful? I don't know. They always call this the, the negative aspects of many entrepreneurs. I think probably one is ego. One is we think that our ideas are the greatest. We refuse to tweak it to what the market wants. The other aspect is uh, sometimes we probably want to build something really huge and big, but we don't have the right resources, people resources, uh, financial resources to make it work. And I think that becomes also a challenge. So uh, what I hear, the two biggest roadblocks are ego and not having the right resources. So I kind of understand if you don't have the right resources, it's hard for an entrepreneur to scale or expand their business. But can you tell us a bit more about how ego can be a roadblock? I think one thing is uh, they think that they are the best, I guess. And when they don't listen to input, that can be challenging. Of course, a lot of people also have the other way of saying it, like that you know, because the person is so extremely passionate and therefore he's very determined, very strong to make it work. But I think those are few in numbers. We are talking, um, unless of course we are talking to an audience who's, who has got the financial means to be able to do this. But generally, most of us, when we're starting up, our limitations is capital. And I think at some point, if I were to put in 100,000 or some people put in 50,000, then we have to wrap around the fact that this 50,000 must last us for a while. And so if I were to be so stubborn, if, if I, let's say for example, I'm, I'm the entrepreneur, I'm so egoistic, so stubborn, not, really, not refusing to listen to, I mean, refusing to listen to other people, then I will find that over a short period of time, my resources, in terms of financial resources, will shrink and and that's the end of my journey. Especially for a startup entrepreneur, it's important to realize how limited our resources are. And within that limitation, we have to, I suppose, quickly find a way to gain that, that income so that we can be sustainable. Yeah, if we were to look at it this way too, uh, it's about last, when we look at a business, of course, the key at the end is inflow. If I have, every month, if I have cash inflow, obviously I can last much longer. So the question is, in every business, I think uh, we are always looking for something big. We hope to grow it very quickly, but we also must understand there's such a thing called bread and butter revenue. So if we take a look at it, what will sustain us for the few months as we actually look at the expanding the business, we need to build that foundation first. The one that gives us revenue to sustain us. Uh, so we talked a bit about you know the roadblocks that prevent an entrepreneur to become successful, but what are the factors that can support an entrepreneur to become successful and eventually thrive? Okay, I think just in a nutshell, a couple of things. In order to support oneself to be able to do well, I think we need to allocate time for ourselves as well. So if I were to use the 80-20 rule, uh, spend 80% of the time in our business, 20% to actually always re to reflect where we are and the where we are going. So I think that will help us actually continually, in a way, revamping strategies along the way to make sure that we succeed. Another thing is, I also feel that we need to spend time on a network. Networking is very important because it helps open up the market. It helps you also look at perspective that the entrepreneur network, the people who have succeeded or, or who have gone through the same pain levels as, they, as we are currently going through when they first started. Then they will be able to give us some insights towards them. So I think having to have your self-reflection time, listening to other people, and of course, also looking at market space, uh, observe what your competitors are doing, 
observe what the trends of the market is uh, heading towards, and then you start you start evolving and moving uh, in a way towards a right strategy for yourself. Mm. Those are very good tips to, especially for startup entrepreneurs, because as you mentioned, when you're a startup entrepreneur, as what I'm going through now, we tend to be so engulfed in our own work that we forget about you know, the world outside and how that can give us opportunities too. So my next question is, in the next, let's say, five or seven years, what do you foresee will be an important skill or knowledge that an entrepreneur needs to acquire? Okay, other than the ones that we mentioned just now, because we also have stated that earlier, I think if you look at the future, technology space is something very critical and not an important ingredient for success. Because actually it helps us leap and connect to consumers, not only within the space that we are working in, but also globally. So having to understand the technological space is, I think, very critical. Uh, I don't don't basically have it myself, uh, so I normally try to get people who I know or I trust well to help me so that I can leverage on it. The other thing is, I think a lot of psychographic changes in the consumer space today. Today's consumers evolving so quickly. There are so many ferocious competitors, sometimes even outliers that enter the same market space. I mean, even as we go out, we want to be an outlier. So... We want to succeed. And so because of that, somehow or the other, we need to actually uh, appreciate a little bit more with regard to this space that we're operating in. Well, what do you mean by psychographic, yeah? Uh, psychography would be basically demographic changes, preferences, behaviors, and taste of your target market. Thank you so much for spending your time with us, Ayat. Do you have any parting advice for our wannabe or startup entrepreneurs out there? I think, uh, if I have to say this, huh, I think, number one, I think you need to understand the why you start a business. The basic motivation of why, because like I said earlier, it can be a long process. And in doing so, sometimes uh, you may not get the support that you need. And so you must be able to stand there and say, you know, the reason why I started this is because I, I want to add value to this. I have a belief in this. So you need to go back and understand your motivation at moments when you feel you're down. So I think you need to remember that. So I would recommend, for me, I would recommend that you write down your, your why statement, so to say, the why I want to do this. And then put it in a poster size in your room and you look at it and reflect on it every day. I think the other thing is, of course, uh, constantly observe and listen to your consumers. When they complain, I always think that they're giving you feedback. Listen to them. Be observant with regard to the competing landscapes that's out there. If you've got a great business, there are many competitors who are also come into your space. Just be very clear what is their value proposition and then look at how you can always be ahead of them. Suppliers have actually a good understanding. I mean, if you are selling products and services, there's also a very good understanding of what the market landscape is as well. So it's, it is good that you spend maybe once a month, you know, uh, touch base with them, listening to what they say. And uh, if you have staff uh, who is actually interacting with um, the daily activities of the business, their feedback is also very important. Probably uh, one more advice is have a buddy, have a mentor so that you can spend. You know, sometimes it's just about, for me, when I first started, I always 
I felt at that point of time when I was when things were not going well and when I go and talk to my mentor or to buddies who are entrepreneurs, and I says, "Ah, yeah, this is the process of uh, becoming an entrepreneur." Oh, oh, is it? <laughs> so, so how is it? Oh, it was. It's not as bad as I thought it was. At least you don't feel like you're going through this alone when you know someone else is going through the same pains. Yes, right. and and because they've gone through it, and then you look at how they become successful, then you tell yourself, "Yeah, probably this is the process." I have, and it makes me wiser, better, smarter. And hopefully, you know, as you tweak and hit the market space, you, you offer better value to your customers. Yeah, and having a buddy and having a mentor is also excellent as a sounding board. So when either one of you, you know, succeed in something, there's someone to celebrate with. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Ayat. I definitely learned a lot about, you know, the journey of a startup entrepreneur. What are the skills and knowledge we need to learn and uh, being aware of the roadblocks, the potential roadblocks that can prevent us from being successful. Thank you again for your time, Ayat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Go Ayat, a former senior banker and management consultant. She calls herself a trainer, a storyteller, an artist, and an entrepreneur. In the next episode, we will speak to Dr. Oberdan Marianetti, a qualified psychologist and clinical sexologist. We will be discussing about finding the right balance between societal expectations and living authentically. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. Every rating helps us build credibility and attract new listeners. This also helps us to keep making the show. This is your host, Ling Ling, and thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast. <laughs>